Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. All right, welcome into the NASCAR on NBC podcast, episode eight. It is Jamie McMurray, number one for me. I'm Dave Briggs, joined by the great Nate, Nate Bryan. And like the maestro in Seinfeld, Parker Clicker and makes us call him points leader. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> How you doing, bud? Thanks Greetings. for having me. Good introduction. We're already off to a better start than the previous seven episodes. Nice work. That's, that's a pretty excellent introduction. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right, well, we're coming off an off week, so not a ton of news coming off the Easter break and the West Coast swing, but a little bit of news from who else? Dale Jr., suddenly the most open athlete in the sport, breaking a little bit of news via Twitter chat Saturday night saying that he intends to donate his brain for concussion research. A lot of back history there, though. Uh, if you can, Nate, describe for us what led to that for Dale Jr. Yeah, you know, this is interesting, Dave, because obviously not the first time Dale Jr.'s been in the spotlight for concussions. This goes all the way back to 2002. Uh, the, the first time that we know of that he had a concussion while, while racing, he hit it for three months and told reporters about it. Uh, late in the 2002 season. Uh, NASCAR wasn't that happy about it. They changed some medical policies as a result. It changed how drivers went to the care center, added some medical liaisons on staff. So that happened in 2002. And then four years ago, he had uh, the concussion at, at uh, the wreck in Talladega toward the end of the year. And this was after he had had a concussion six weeks earlier that he sustained in a testing accident at Kansas Speedway that he again had hid uh, that concussion as well, and then sustained this concussion at Talladega six weeks later. So that led NASCAR to move into the area of deciding that, all right, we're not going to leave this to drivers anymore. We're going to really ramp things up here and, and put in baseline testing in the preseason that drivers are going to have to go through. So that really changed the game, I, I, I think. And now we have this tweet, Saturday Night Parker, that you know I'd love to get your thoughts on this. To me, this is... This is Dale Jr. to me feeling really comfortable in his role as almost a you know an elder statesman of the sport where concussions are very much obviously at the front of all professional sports now, 
And he, I think, is really putting himself and thrusting himself into the mix here. No, you're right. It's pretty It's pretty amazing. And, you know, Dave said it best, I think, about Dale kind of being the most, like, comfortable being himself. And I was actually noticing that the other day, just looking at social media and what, you know, the way he's embraced it and the way he, you know, conducts himself on there. you got to think that he's probably the most genuine person in the sport on social media, I have to think. But, uh, you know, looking at the concussion stuff and the, you know, the safety advocate he's become, I guess, in some respects by putting, you know, all this out in public light. You know, if you look at it, uh, not to be morbid, but his dad, in a lot of ways, was very, um, you know, the result of his incident and his death was one of the biggest catalysts for bringing in the Hans device and so many other um, different safety innovations that, you know, it, it only makes sense that, you know, someone that's been so impacted by the safety aspect of our sport uh, would become someone to be at the forefront of it. And I think it's very cool for him to do. And he's definitely, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. He maybe hit it a lot of his life, you know, kind of just hit it out of the spotlight. But uh, he's definitely proven to be someone that's very forward-thinking and, and uh, a big safety advocate. That's a real interesting point about his father and how those two now leading to the biggest changes in safety perhaps in the sport. But let's talk about concussions a little bit more. He may have changed the rule as of 2014 to Nate's point. Has he changed, Dale Jr., the conversation in the garage? Are guys more aware of it, more concerned about concussions? Is it getting close to where the NFL is, or is it something the drivers still don't want to talk about? Yeah, I I think Dave, that's, that's it's a real interesting point because we've seen Brad Keselowski be very vocal about this, and uh, not really in the same sort of manner as Dale Jr. And Brad Keselowski's contention oh. is basically drivers should be allowed to take their own risks. That when, when they're on the track and making laps, every time they turn the wheel, it's it's virtually a risk of of, of some degree. So he feels as if. This is a decision that should never be in the hands of medical professionals because, to put it bluntly, Brad Kozlowski doesn't trust uh, medical professionals to make these decisions for him and for other drivers because he feels like there's still too many unknowns about concussions. So I think it's it's really interesting you have this dichotomy of, like, on one hand, I mean, Dale Jr. has been through it. He's He's had three concussions that we know of, and he's reached the conclusion that, hey, I, I think it's in my best interest – to ensure um, that I'm in, I'm putting everything in the hands of trusted medical experts. Whereas Brad Kozlowski, I think, takes the opposite view. And I don't know, Parker, you might have thoughts on that from a driver perspective. I don't know if if we can really like take a sample or poll or or really judge like which side of the garage, uh, which side the garage is coming down on at this point. But I or I don't even know if maybe the garage has made up its mind on that sort of thing. You might have some insight into that. Well, I, Nate, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of drivers were scared at first uh, when the baseline testing came around. You know, the idea that you were going to, that it wasn't in my hands whether I was in that race car or not. You know, obviously, if I have some sort of physical injury that doesn't allow me to drive the car, fine. But the fact that it could be something hidden, right, that's mental, that's, you know, I can't tell you is there. You Maybe, as Brad would say, there isn't great science behind the diagnosis of a concussion. Um, you know, that, that this was a scary sort of, um, I don't know how to say, gray area would be the best way. And I know it's gray matter up there, but uh, gray area. Because, 
And, you know, I remember being in the meeting, one of the first meetings when this came around was in uh, the end of 2013, maybe beginning of 2014. Um, and it was a town hall meeting that NASCAR did with the uh, head doctor of the concussion, when the concussion baseline testing was coming in. And I've never seen a meeting so vocal in terms of drivers asking consistent, you know, constant questions. You know, okay, is there a grade? You know, do I have, if I go do this test right now, do I get an A? And then if I get a C because I'm tired and I've just driven for 500 miles and, yeah, I had a wreck, am I suddenly a concussed person and now I can't race next week, right? There were so many questions. But eventually, I think over time, people start to learn it, start to understand exactly what's going on. And it's, you know, subsided. I think Brad continued to be vocal in this. Uh, obviously, because, you know, we saw what happened with Will Power in IndyCar where he was sidelined, would have been sidelined anyways because he had basically vertigo at the time, but uh, was misdiagnosed with a concussion, right? Uh, and that's more fuel to the fire because if he didn't have that vertigo, what did, you know, you just took this guy out of his job. Um, so that's definitely interesting. I think you even know, even with the baseline testing, you know, to kind of explain how it goes is you go to a doctor and you, you go in there, and it's very simple. Uh, they set up a computer for you, and you take about a 10-minute test, I believe it is, maybe 15 minutes. Um, and it's just simply like like uh, when you're a little kid and you played memory card, uh, where you flip a card over and it says, you know, dog, and then you flip another card over, it's dog, and then you have to remember which one's the dog, right? And <laughs> it's very – and then there's a couple shapes. Uh, it's very remedial. Um, there's a little bit of, I guess, reaction time to it. But then it's over, and you're like, I don't, I don't understand how that would affect me at all. Um, but I guess, you know, that's the point is that it's stuff that if you were to have a concussion, this would be hard, right? Um, I'll go even further back, though. Before this happened and before we had the chase rules, and I know Jeff Burton's talked a lot about this uh, on NASCAR America, and I think it's a great point is that, and it explains this to people, it's tough sometimes, that basically forever in our sport, if you were hurt as a driver, you did everything in your power not to be hurt or did not show it, uh, especially if there was something mental that you knew you could hide in some respect. Because in the day, if you were taken out of that car for one race, that ruined your season. Your season was done. It's over. Or, you know, at least it hurt your season in a large way. Um, and I think, you you know, I, I know in times of my career, you know, I kind of questioned after a hard hit, like how well I felt. But at the time, you just couldn't, you couldn't admit that. You couldn't put that out there because if you were in such thin ice, um, you know, and being able to race. And now with the new rules and the chase and all that stuff where you can win and you get in and all the different the medical waivers, it's really changed that. And I think that goes hand in hand with being more comfortable with baseline testing and, and the concussions. I will say, I don't think our sport has the issue, obviously, that the football has because these hits are formed to you between. Right? No, you know, no. But, yeah, Dave, I mean, at the end of the day, how many times does a guy take a truly hard hit in a season? You know, maybe two times on a bad season, you know? Right, um, and, and to to enlighten folks a little bit on football, probably the biggest problem there is the 10, 20, 30, 40 hits guys take throughout the course of the game, not necessarily the big ones, but to your point on guys missing time coming full circle last year with Kyle Busch showing us you can be out of the car not just for a race or two, but for a long stretch of time and still come back to win a championship. So that was a really good point. And to finish it up, you've got two of the biggest drivers in the sport talking about it, but is NASCAR talking about concussions and how they treat this? Is the driver's council going to bring it up, Nate? Yeah, I, mean, that's, I think that's the next place it, it kind of has to go to, to some extent, Dave. And, I mean, you, you raise a good point on NASCAR. I, I think they've been fairly 
proactive. Again, you know, as soon as the, the Dale Jr. thing happened, you know, within a few months of that, they were talking about baseline testing. They made it mandatory uh, 18 months later to, to start the 2014 season. So I, I think they've been proactive, but ultimately, I mean, Parker knows this is better than me, but as, as a driver, I, I think it's much like your approach to life. I mean, you, you've, you've got to look out for number one. You've got to look out for yourself. And I, I think that that's the way it should be as well. I mean, like in some ways, I'm kind of torn on, on Keselowski's view because I can, I can appreciate where he's coming from. In some ways, I, I want uh, NASCAR, the medical community, whoever, to uh, essentially save drivers from themselves to some degree. But on the other hand, if you're taking that chance already – to to race a car at, at breakneck speeds and risk life and limb every weekend, then I, I think with that comes a, a certain degree of, of trust and understanding that, that you know what you're entering into and, and perhaps you know best as to, as to how you should be monitored and how you should be judged as to whether or not you're fit enough to race. I think, I think, that, I mean, D- Dave, again, you might be able to speak to better than I can because you've, you've been around other athletes, other sports. I don't know if they have those sorts of debates in football, I don't know, like when they developed concussion protocol in the NFL, if that was something that the Players Association was heavily involved in. But I think in NASCAR, it would have to be from the driver perspective. Well, ultimately, what will drive this conversation is lawsuits. That's what drove it in the NFL, <laughs> and that's why it was taken out of the players' hands. Because when the league's looking at losing billions, not millions, but billions of dollars in lawsuits, then ultimately that decision is taken out of the players, and in this case, out of the driver's hands. Not that NASCAR is going to be sued anytime soon, but I'm sure that's what will be the guiding force for them. But let's turn uh, back to the track, and we now head from the West Coast swing to the off week, and now to short tracks for three of the next four weeks, and this week to Martinsville, scene of the crime, scene of what might be the enduring image of 2015, and reset what happened last time at Martinsville for us, Nate. Well, as, as we all know, we saw a, a two-race suspension for, for Matt Kenseth for intentionally wrecking Joey Logano. Uh, f- fairly unprecedented uh, from every angle in that you had a driver in Matt Kenseth who at the time was 10 laps down. Uh, Joey Logano was in the lead. There were about 50 laps remaining in the race. And Logano had, had had contact with Kenseth late in the race, uh, three weeks earlier at Kansas, two weeks earlier at Kansas. Uh, Logano chose to move Kenseth out, Kenseth out of the way, which, of course, spun Kenseth into, I think he finished like 14th at Kansas. Logano won the race. Kenseth remained bitter about that for a couple of weeks. There was another instance a week later at Talladega, which everybody forgets about, but where Kenseth and Logano had almost a little bit of a shunt getting on the pit lane. So all of these things, the confluence of all of these factors, uh, came to a head with about 50 laps to go at Martinsville, where Kenseth, whose car, again, was 10 laps down because of damage sustained in an incident that was essentially started because Kislowski, uh, Brad Kislowski and Logano, the Team Penske teammates, were, were working together to maintain the lead on restarts. Um, Kenseth got caught up in an accident that also involved Kislowski. And he decided to just take matters into his own hands and, and essentially ended any shot Joey Logano had at a championship. And uh, he's talked about it since then. I wouldn't say he's unrepentant, but I, I don't get the sense that Matt Kenseth wouldn't have done the same thing if he had the opportunity. Maybe not as blatantly. Maybe he doesn't ram J- Joey Logano into the wall at 
90 miles an hour again, but I, I, I think he would have taken some measure of retribution, which is interesting because NASCAR, as a result of that incident last year, Parker has changed the rules. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions about it this weekend about how drivers might adapt to that. Yeah, uh, I think that's all we can do. I think it's enough about last year. <laughs> In my opinion, I think everyone's sticking it at this point, to be honest. I think you did a great job recapping it. But uh, I'd like to look at the future of you know what we're going to see at Martinsville and say, hey, look, you know, that happened. Of course, every, you know, hindsight's 2020, Matt could have done something different. Like, I like done something different. But the year has played out. We're done with that one. And I'd I like to look at this year what we're going to see. And I think, um, you know, I think we're going to see what we saw there in the last couple of years, which is great short track racing. And, uh, you know, a lot of what's going on in the sport with the, their tires and the things. I don't know if I haven't looked yet if they've changed the tire for Martinsville. Um, but I'm just, I think we're to look ahead right now and to say, you know, what are we going to see this weekend and why, why should we look forward to that? Are Joey Logano and Matt Kenseth going to race each other any differently they have this year? No, I don't think so. Uh, just because of the scene and where that happened, you know, um, they'll definitely be reminded, but I think for them, you know, they're above that. Um, but I do think we might see what we've been seeing all year and that's great racing. That's what I look forward to. All right, so that gets us back to this weekend at Martinsville. And let me ask you guys about something Paul Wolf said today on MRN regarding the low downforce package and how it will impact drivers at Martinsville. He said, we're not going to really see the effects of the downforce changes at Martinsville. Why not, Parker? You won't because you just don't go fast enough. That's the problem. <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, for downforce to have an effect, um, you know, there's an old rule, it's over 60 miles an hour, which to obviously go over 60 miles down the straightaway, but the cornering speeds there are about 50 to 60. Um, and really, when you get down, when the tires wore out, that's just, just not a big issue. You know, downforce and aerodynamics of a short track like this, just, they don't come into play. Um, so, the, you know, having the low downforce on there isn't going to have an effect, but as I said before, I think I have to look at the tire that Goodyear's bringing. It might be a little bit different if they're kind of following the same trend and maybe bring something a little softer. Although being that downforce doesn't matter here, it might have just gone the same thing. But in the last few years, we've actually seen some excellent racing there. We've seen a lot of, you know, difference in speed between guys who can save the tires, especially those rear tires, um, and guys who can't. So I think it'll be the, the same Martinsville we've been watching for, for 20 years. And uh, that's a good thing. No reason to change what isn't broken. Yeah, so I... does that mean brakes are of utmost importance, Nate? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, that'll be a big part of it uh, this weekend, Dave. I mean, Parker's right. I mean, I, I don't – obviously, Martinsville is not a restrictor plate race, but to me, like, I, I sort of view this like Daytona or Talladega where the rules there have remained the same, obviously. There's no low downforce for the for the plate tracks. And when I look at uh, the short tracks, I, I think it's similar. Like like Parker said, the arrow the doesn't really come into play as much. Um, it's going to be more about brakes. It's going to be more about – the, the tires, uh, and I, I think that is going to be interesting to, to see how that uh, comes into play this weekend because tire management has been a much bigger story this season, and you know maybe drivers are, that aren't accustomed to doing that until this season will maybe we'll see some different guys do a little bit better than normal because they've they've been doing this more often this year and and worried about conserving tires as as they, maybe they haven't been in previous seasons. We had um I did a, a serious XM NASCAR shift today in which we talked to Rusty Wallace and he's seven-time winner at Martinsville 
and he was very enthused about that to see what kind of impact there might be in terms of tire wear. And it's, it's going to be the same tire as last year, but, but I, I think we could see um, some differences there and, and maybe some different dynamics to the race. He won seven times. Jimmy has won here eight times and leads the series with two earlier this year. Is he the favorite again, Parker? Jimmy? Yeah. If you go to Martinsville, of course. <laughs> I would say uh, you, you can't bet against him uh, for sure. I mean, just at the end of the day, you see when you came here, you thought, okay, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, that's the great A standard, and then we'll all work out. We'll all figure out from there um, what else, who else could run well. But I would keep your eye on the Penske duo. I think those two will be very good this weekend. Um, you know, they've, they've shown a lot of strength at this, this racetrack and on the short tracks in the last two years. But, you know, the reason, the only thing I would say about Jimmy that would give me hesitation to say that, yes, he's the great A standard here uh, this weekend is just that you, we talked about a lot last week. Um, I know he's won two races, but in those two races, he wasn't the best car. And, his, and Chad Chanaus gave a great interview lately where he said, basically, there was a lot of things they had to work on in terms of speed. Um, now, you can maybe put all that aside and say this is Martinsville, and this is a completely different animal than everything else he's done, and it doesn't matter, and they'll show up there with the same thing they've been running for three years, and it's worked every time. Um, but I will say, you know, that would give me a little bit of hesitation to call him, you know, to say, hey, this is a lot for Jamie Johnson. But uh, also watch his teammates, Dylan Hart Jr., who loves this place and has always been well there. And uh, we talked a little bit about the Kenseth incident, but, you know, Joey Logano certainly does well there. Top five the last four races, if you discount the time that he was wiped out. And Denny Hamlin won this race last year. Is he a guy that can win here every week, Nate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I, I mean, certainly the way the Penske cars ran last fall has to be very encouraging for them. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing did very well in the, the the race a year ago that was won by Denny Hamlin. Kenseth got a top five there. He's been really strong at Martinsville since coming to Gibbs after struggling for so many years at this track when he was at Roush Fenway. So I, I think I mean, Parker's right. It's, it's the 48th race to lose at Martinsville. I think it almost always is. There was one point where Denny Hamlin a few years ago said the only cars he watched in practice as his competition were the 48 and the 24. And now Jeff Gordon is gone, and that leaves Jimmy Johnson, Denny Hamlin. And, you know, will someone else begin to emerge? I think so. I think that the playing field is shifting at this track. And even though the rules might not come into play in the way that they have in recent weeks, I think that we could see a little bit of a shift in the balance of power this weekend. And I want to say, I want to butt in there, Nate, and I want to add in that well, I want to add in just that one thing to watch at this racetrack, which is always interesting to me, is you will see, if you look maybe a little further back, outside the top 10, in the top 15 area, this is a track that for whatever reason, and I think it has a lot to do with that arrow doesn't matter. That's kind of a throwback in your driving style of how you have to, you know, the short tracks you grew up on. Uh, horsepower doesn't matter that much. Really about making your race car drive well, um, which is very unusual in our sport this day and age, although we're seeing a little bit below downforce package and talking to Kevin Harvick who says, you know, a place like California, he, he looks at how it drives or Atlanta uh, more than the speed. But one thing to watch is in that top 15, we normally see a car like front row motorsports. Uh, in years past, David Dillon would, you know, find himself fighting for almost a top 10 uh, this racetrack. So look to see Landon Castle continue his good run. Chris Busher maybe to turn things around a little bit uh, on that in that car, 
the 34 car. I think, you know, there's sometimes those cars that just, we don't see that often. Uh, even Max Mandetta with PK Racing, you know, had an excellent run at Phoenix. This kind of translates well to being able to run well at Martinsville. So uh, just keep your eye open on those guys because I think that's definitely something that's always interesting about the short track, seeing some of these cars that maybe are outside the top 25 normally find themselves fighting almost in top 10. Let me ask you about that. You say these guys fighting for top 10s. Are we any closer to seeing someone from a non-Big Four team win a race? We, we haven't, we've seen Martin Truex Jr., the only guy who's done it in something like the last 50 or 60 races. Are we any closer to seeing somebody else get a win, not a top 10? This is a great point, Nate, uh, Dave. I, I, I want to get Parker's yeah. opinion on this, but, but uh, just real quick. We, we, we discussed this last week on the podcast, or two weeks ago, when, when Dustin and I talked about it, and I don't feel like we are. So I, I want to get Parker's take on this because it does seem as if as much as things uh, change in NASCAR, whether it's rules or, or whatnot, it does seem like things do stay the same because – those those big the power four are still going to have the good people the good budgets the good drivers and can things change i guess parker i believe so i think we are getting closer though i i would say look at rcr you know look at the three cars uh that that car that is doing the things you need to do to put yourself in position to win a race um you know and if he was able to do it i don't see a reason that ryan newman can't find himself a little bit closer i know he he it should have come close or should have had a win a couple of years ago uh, and didn't get it done. But I, I'm just, I see a lot of speed out of that organization that I don't think I've normally seen. I see them be consistent. They've had the ability to, you know, have uh, races, you know, be consistent over the course of the season. But they've shown speed for every reason, and that's unusual for them. You know, I think that's a big deal. And him winning that poll at California was a big deal. Uh, and then also, these guys aren't quite winners, but I said it, been saying it for the first five races. Keep your eye on that family racing. Something's happening there in terms of especially the 17 car, which just seems to have more speed than we've seen in three or four years out of them. Uh, and that's a big deal. So, I, But why do top four, you know, the big four, whatever you want to call them, why are they so far ahead? You know, Nate said it, look, you've got the most engineering. At the end of the day, you don't hire 50 engineers and pay engineering. You know, engineers make a lot of money uh, in terms of salaries. They're not, you know, they're not uh, low-paying jobs. You don't get all those engineers and engineering and, and people within the organization and ancillary people that are just there to continually find new ways to innovate and make the race cars faster and not expect to go out and win, and especially when when rule changes happen, you should be the first and the most prolific with that rule change. Uh, right. And that's why we see it. So the, the power, the speed, the money of the Big Four maybe makes Casey King's struggles all that more glaring. The fact that he can't seem to get a win despite all the speed at Hendrick. Uh, is there any talk about his future there, Nate? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of talk, Dave. Uh, and if you're Casey Kane, it's it's probably not too comfortable. Um, we know that he, he signed a multi-year deal uh, before last season, but it was a multi-year deal with options, and the team has the options. And I, I think it's fair to say uh, that, that Casey Kane is racing to keep his ride. And if you hear the, the whispers around the garage right now, that's, that is what they're saying. And um, I, I think that it's, it's been a slow start for him, certainly. Uh, he did get some good news last week and that he went back to his roots and ran a sprint car and got a win. So that, that had to be encouraging because, um, I mean, Parker, you know what it's like to be out of the car for so long and then 
have a chance to like get back in and win just just the pure confidence that I'm sure has to help a guy when when you're on the hot seat like it seems like Casey Kane is yeah any win honestly winning fixes anything or everything um yeah I I you know it's a tough position uh you know Casey Kane came in there into Hendrick um off of doing a great job at Everham through all the changes that it went through he continually was the leader on that team, uh, even as it started to kind of fall apart in the Gillette Everham or Gillette whole time, you know, when it went and then to the Petty side. Uh, and then he went to Red Bull and did a great job for them. Um, and it seemed like, you know, this is a guy that should be a consistent championship contender, should be a guy, especially at Hendrick Motorsports, that goes out there and wins multiple races in a season, given all the, the uh, you know, uh, support he has there. He was able to bring his favorite crew chief, Kenny Francis, over. Um, it seemed like the stars aligned, but for whatever reason, as we've seen so many times in sports, uh, you know, sometimes guys are just not able to rise to the occasion or, or to figure out, you know, what the, you know, find what works for them. Um, but this is a perplexing situation. You know, it's, it's tough for me as a driver to watch that and give you one reason that it's happening. Because as I said before, there's so much, many resources at Hendrick Motorsports that it, it seems tough to watch a team like that have everything available to them and not be able to figure it out. Right. Um, and that, and that's just, I, I know it's got to be tough for him. Um, and you know that you're racing for your ride even adds that pressure even more. Are those well, resources that there. Kevin Harvick might covet? <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, Kevin Harvick doing an excellent job with the, the satellite circulation that is SHR and would probably excel even further uh, at Hendrick. You know, there is two funny things, though, there. Um, first and foremost, I'll say that over the years, and I, I mean, this goes back to the, what is it, the early 2000s, late 90s, Nate, you'll help me out here. Hendrick has never been able to have four very right. good cars. Right. And um, I won't name, there was a certain driver of one of those fourth cars that told me he could not, it's like a curse. There's some sort of curse to the building. Um, that it can't get that fourth car to Loma. And I, it makes no sense. It, you know, those resources and everything they have, it just doesn't make any sense. You can't figure it out. Yeah. But you, maybe, hey, maybe it's like the curse of the Bambino. It's the same situation. <laughs> it might be, you know, I, I've heard that, Parker, and I, I think it was the 20, when it was, when it was once called the 25 car, that was the car that, for whatever reason, always just yep. seemed to be off on an island and struggling. And, and for as long as they've had four cars, which I think is going on, 11 or 12 years now, I think they've only qualified all four for the chase twice. So it is perplexing when you think about it, because all this talent, it's not like they don't hire really good drivers, especially the last several years. They, they've got the drivers, and we know they've got 500 people there who know how to build cars and engines and chassis and whatnot. Do you think, Parker, that it, I mean, like, is some of it cumulative? Is, is some of it that once you get in a hole, it's hard to just dig yourself out. You just keep going in the wrong direction because everything just sort of compounds. And, and you just, even though a guy like Kane is, we know he can win, but once things start going the wrong way, it's hard to just get it turned around. Well, I, and I definitely, and I feel like it, um, one thing I've talked to Dave about a couple times is the Logano situation at KGR, right? Yeah. Joe Gibbs racing. He was, you know, maybe, in a lot of people's eyes, uh, unsuccessful there. You know, wasn't achieving what he should have been achieving. And the relationship gets stale. And at that point, you know, the, the I guess the, um, the feeling throughout the team 
is not right, right? And when it's, the confidence isn't there and you, they don't maybe have the confidence in you, you don't maybe have the confidence in them, that just eats away at performance consistently. Um, and I think that's definitely something that we could be seeing here with the five cars that, you know, at the end of the day, they started to make changes and find find ways to turn this around, but there's been one consistent guy, and that's Casey Kane driving it, um, that hasn't been able to figure it out. So I think that definitely compounds and compounds into the point where when the confidence is so low, either in each other or in one direction, it all all it can do is continually make the performance worse. And sometimes, for someone like Casey Kane, if he were to leave and go to another situation, he might find that success again when it's a renewed situation, like we saw with Gano, who's able to go to Penske, suddenly have more of a uh, confidence in himself in the team, and the team had a confidence in him, and he was able to go out there and put on his best performance, and that's what we're seeing right now. All right, yeah, I, you know, I, I think I agree with all that, Parker, and, um, you know, I, I'd like to get Dave's opinion, but uh, I, I don't think he was there for most of that answer. I, th- I think we can welcome back Dave Briggs now. <laughs> Uh, who we've now lost twice on this podcast, and we apologize for that, Dave. It's not because yes, we don't love you. Yes, it is my first. Perhaps it is my last. The phone does not like Dave Briggs. <laughs> not going well on the technical side of things. It's not because <laughs> we don't love oh, you. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. We, we swear we like you being here. You're doing uh, a great job. Okay, so speaking of things that don't always work well, uh, let's talk about Danica Patrick. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> find $20,000, uh, a little light in the wallet as she heads to Martinsville. Kyle Bush also fined, though, $10,000. What do we learn from either or both of those situations, Nate? I, mean, I, I think what we learned, Dave, is obviously don't get out of your car and walk up the, a, a hot racetrack. And we all knew that already, but that was confirmed beyond the shadow of a doubt. But I think what we learned with the Kyle Bush fine, which was for, again, skipping his media obligations and not for what he said um, on the radio, which was basically uh, accusing NASCAR of, of not throwing the caution to keep him from winning, is that I, I think drivers get a little more leeway than we thought, Parker, in terms of being able to, to criticize NASCAR. NASCAR had all these behavioral rules in the preseason. I'm sure you took a look at it. I know I'm sure all of your peers have taken a look at it. I think some people were expecting they might come down on Bush for what he said on his team radio, but they didn't. I don't know any drivers that looked at it, but I will say I didn't look at it either. <laughs> but it doesn't. It does not surprise me that it was not penalized for those comments because they were on the team radio. And two, I want to say two things. First and foremost, it's the team radio, so. That is between the team and the driver. Yes, do we make it public by allowing people to tune in? But if you've ever heard the 48 cars team radio and what their what Chad now says at the beginning of a race, he says something along the lines of, "Hey, you're tuning in. Thank you. We appreciate the fans. But what's said on here is not we're not responsible for, it, right? Uh, you know, if you hear let you know bad language and that sort of thing. And that's just the way it is. It's, it's private communication that we happen to make available if you decide to tune into it. The second part of that is the notion that NASCAR fixes it. It's the most ridiculous notion there is, right? And if NASCAR was to give it the time of day by penalizing them for saying that and that sort of thing, I think it opens up a whole nother can of worms of saying that they're upset about that. But what they did, in my eyes, is by not even reacting or making a uh, determination or penalty, you know, penalizing him for those comments, it kind of brushed on the rug to say, you know, that's ridiculous. We're not even going to 
And we're not even going to, you know, acknowledge you said that because it's just so outlandish to say such a thing. Um, and I think that was a good move. So, the Danica side, that's safety. Don't walk up the track. That makes a lot of sense. But on the Cowboys side, I'm glad they didn't penalize him for the radio. And for what he did, though, by avoiding the media, I am glad he got penalized for that because that's unacceptable. Is, is Kyle Bush showing signs of the old Kyle Bush, the old hot? I mean, for a while it seemed like he had tampered everything down, was not making news off the track. Is he fading back to the uh, the bad version of Kyle Bush? Well, I think, hey, I'm going to... I want to jump in real quick, Nate. I just want to say this real quick. Dave, what did I say to you before uh, the Auto Club race after we got done with the NASCAR America show? Do you remember? I don't. It must have been good. So you said to me at the end, I didn't have Kyle Busch as a winner. And you said, how could you not pick him to win? And I said, I don't know. I just felt like there was a little bit of frustration in huh. in the 18 camp at this moment. Right. And, right. and you, it was that exact I said, I, I just felt there was a little bit of frustration as I watched. I listened and, you know, I listened to the radio a lot. I just felt like things weren't lining up as well as we heard the year before. Uh, and, you know, showed up. Interesting. That's 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 interesting take of Parker. And obviously, you know Kyle Busch well, having driven for him. I just know what I've observed as a member of the media since he came into Sprint Cup in 05. And I, to me, Dave, he's never changed. He's always, I mean, he's gotten a little bit older, a little bit more mature. He's become a father. Last year, he overcame extreme adversity to win that championship. But the essence of Kyle Busch is always going to be this petulant side that emerges at really inopportune times, which is okay. I mean, yes, we want him to be an ambassador for the sport now because he's technically the face as the the reigning champion. You want him to be diplomatic about some things. But I'm okay with him uh, showing that side of his personality as it may be from time to time, because that's who he is. And if you restrain it, uh, I think there are unintended consequences if you try to prevent him from being who he is at his core. Yeah, I mean, they- there are, there, there's good Kyle and there is bad Kyle. And yeah. let me take a detour and mention good Kyle, who over the weekend had a big fundraiser, a uh, fashion show at the NASCAR Hall of Fame with Samantha. Um which begs this question from both of you: Who's the best? Who's the worst dressed driver? <laughs> Real quick, hold on. I want to say one more thing, Nate. Before we go further than this, yes, sir. As a member of the media, though, I, I did read some of your your articles on this and what was going on. And to me, I heard the, one of the best arguments I heard was that it wasn't the media who you were uh, you're upsetting by avoiding your media obligation. But to me, as a fan, as a as someone who's watched the sport. You're, you're basically avoiding the fans, yes. right? Because yeah. you guys are the message to the fans. Yeah. So when you weren't able to get quotes from him or whatever, ask that race, when he dominated the race, does that, in some ways, you know, how do you feel as a media member? But secondly, you know, for me as a fan or viewing as a fan, I have to think it, it feels a little bit like a slight of, you know, getting slighted. No, and you're absolutely right, Parker. I mean, here's, this is nuanced, like everything, but here's the thing, like we are the conduit to the fans for these guys. And so when they choose not to talk to us, it comes with consequences. And so if he chooses not to talk to us or any driver does after a race, I try to remain agnostic and different, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. That's their choice. If they want to make that choice, that's fine. I, I have to live with it, but so do they. And the, the repercussions of that are their fans or, or, or the general populace doesn't get to hear why things happen the way they did, and they don't get to tell their side. And I think that that outweighs uh, – getting to tell your side outweighs 
not telling it at all it, in my mind. And I, I think that on balance, eventually it all evens out toward guys talking, which for the most part, which, which is mm-hmm. a good thing. You're still going to have instances like this. Uh, best and worst dressed. I, I mean, I'm the wrong guy to ask about fashion. First of all, I mean, I'm wearing like the most, <laughs> I'm wearing blue shoes with brown pants and a green t-shirt right now. <laughs> That that is true. You you are not the sharpest dressed man in the garage. I'm, I'm not the guy with the you're, best hey, socks on NASCAR hey, America. You're better dressed. <laughs> you're, you're one of the better dressed media members. I'd say you beat Bob Pop, Bob Parker. So. That is <laughs> Parker. You know that is such a low bar that uh, I don't even think we want to go there. I, I want to hear from the man with the best yeah. socks on NASCAR America, who the best and worst drivers are in, in NASCAR. Well, you know, it's funny. Jonathan Gibson tweeted us about who has the best socks in NASCAR. He's the uh, vice president of Penske Racing, and I hope he knows it's me that has the best socks in NASCAR. Without a doubt, he's got decent sock game, but not at my level. But, but Parker, is there a, an awfully dressed driver? or is there? I mean, you're a pretty sharp-dressed guy. Who, who's the oh, guy in there, though? I, I've never been called that, but I, uh, you know what? They, there's some classic good guys that have some good style. That would be uh, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, um, Landon Castle. He's a big fashion guy. He loves fashion. That's so great. He, he always finds the way to be pretty DQ in that sense. Uh, badly dressed, I would say um, he's not going to like me for this. And he's, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think he's worked on it and had people. Advising, but uh, Brad Keselowski was one of the more bad dressed ones. So sorry, John. You can you can help him out. Send him a stylist. But man, I there's sometimes I'm like, what is that jacket? Or why are you wearing that shirt? With jacket. I I don't know. I I'm not one. I don't want to talk too much because I mean you got to respect the guy for what he's done, etc. But uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, hey, look. I always say this about style, though, because I don't think I'm like. Uh, someone who looks at like a GQ magazine and tries to emulate that or just tries to follow the right trend. I just say, that's cool. I'm going to wear it and try to make it work. And, you know, that's what he's into. That's what he's into. Uh, you know, whatever that style is. So that's, that's the way I say it. If, you, if it's your style and you rock it and you do it right, you know, in the confidence, then that's the best style of it. There yeah, is. I mean, listen, you don't have to dress. Not, I mean, Dale Jr. rocks a T-shirt. That, and it just yeah. works. It works, man. That's him. You know, it's like T-shirts all day long. I love it. <laughs> I would have thought you would have said some of the young drivers, but maybe they'll get there. But I do want to ask you guys about the young drivers and the start they've had, in particular Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney, and, and just how good the young drivers, the young guns are in the sport right now, Nate. Yeah, I don't think we can undersell the starts that these guys have had, Dave. I, I, I didn't think Chase Elliott or Ryan Blaney would be playoff contenders before the season started. And now five races into it, I think both of these guys could be in the 16 uh, that start the first round at Chicagoland with a, with a shot at winning a title. I think both of these guys could win races. Uh, and I, in each instance, Parker, I mean, Ryan Blaney bringing the Wood Brothers racing team back full-time, that's a great story in and of itself. Such a venerable team that, that hadn't been racing full-time in eight years, and suddenly, you know, drop of a hat, they're back every race, and he's doing really well. And then Chase Elliott, I mean, you know this, like the immense – expectations and pressure of stepping into such a prestigious ride with a well-funded team and and delivering and what I like about Chase Elliott is when he makes mistakes he owns up to them and um, I, I think there's a lot to be said about both these guys which is great because it's been a while since really since the young guns movement of you know 11 or 12 years ago 
that we've been able to have this discussion about more than one rookie at a time and point at two of them and say both of these guys could win. Yeah, the I mean, you said it about the equipment. I mean, at the end of the day, we haven't seen two young drivers this caliber walk into this caliber of equipment in a long time. Um, really, the last time we saw someone walking such a high-profile rise is Joe Logano uh, in '09. So, you know, it's been a considerable drought. And before that, I mean, really, you have to go back to Kyle Busch coming into the Kendrick, you know? Um, so it's just, it's been a considerable drought in that sense. And I think you said a great point there that have we seen rookies come in that we'd be talking about winning? And no, we haven't. Uh, you know, my the year I was kind of sort of a part of the rookie crop in 2014, uh, we had Kyle Larson and Austin Dillon, who were in good rides, but they weren't the high-profile winning rides that we're seeing now. You know, no one at their team was winning multiple races uh, and that sort of thing, like we're seeing out of the Hendrick Motorsports crew or Penske Racing. Right, uh, yeah, Team Penske, sorry, uh, with what with what Ryan Blaney had. So it's definitely impressive. The, the other impressive thing to me is that you have two drivers who are very, very calm. Uh, it's not like we have two very differing personalities. I think they're very both kind of quiet, both very calm, uh, in great rides. And because of that, they, they kind of sh- push the pressure aside and, and shoulder it very well in terms of how they conduct themselves. And it shows on the racetrack. It, it's also been interesting to watch how they've been very close to each other in every race. Um, and it has a, kind of a mirrored season where if they have a, one good race and the next guy has a bad race, then you have a good race and vice versa. So it's been interesting to see there. Um, I think most definitely that 24 car has a chance to win a race this year. Uh, I think that the 21 car could find themselves in that position um, if they can execute a little bit more at the end of races right now. Uh, they're having a little bit of trouble closing at the end, but I think that that will come in due time. Um, the other driver I'd like to mention that, you know, we're not talking much about, but I've helped very highly, uh, from racing him, from watching him. I think he does an excellent job. He kind of got a raw deal this year, uh, in terms of what he's been put in, but that's Chris Busher. And, uh, you know, Roush Fenway racing is only helping that car out for 18 races this year. Um, in terms of full support, they are, you know, working together the best they can, but at the end of the day, he's not always been a full Roush Fenway racing car. Um, and I'd like to, I, I, I'll be interested to track him all season to see what he can turn around there because they've had a bit of a rough start this season, but he's definitely a, a very talented young driver. He's got a very good attitude. He's also very calm, very collected. Uh, he's obviously a champion of our sport in the Xfinity Series, and I think he'll be someone that if he, uh, if he can put in some solid top 20 runs over the season, he'll start to mark up a bit. I know the uh, Wood Brothers would like nothing more than this to be the week that Ryan Blaney gets to win this being their de facto home track. You see a lot written about the Wood Brothers this week at Martinsville. Uh, let's answer a couple of Twitter questions that came our way. First, Chopka Elvis 88 wants to know, how do you fix the Xfinity Series? He's getting to the point that should He's limiting the Cup drivers. He said it's, quote, getting pathetic. Is there any talk about that, Nate? I, I think there's always going to be talk about it, Dave, and, and Parker can really speak to this, having having raced in Xfinity M trucks better than I can probably about maybe what's the best way, but I, I don't think there is a way. I mean, I, I think th- there are business reasons for why you need to have Sprint Cup drivers in the Xfinity Series. You can make what you will of that, but that's – that's the plain and honest truth. And I think, you know, Parker talked about this in our podcast a few weeks ago. I think the steps they've taken with the Xfinity chase and the truck chase this year, uh, you got to give it time. Uh, it's, it's, I think jury's still out, but I think eventually 
toward the end of the season, we're going to see benefits from that. That's going to put the focus more on the Xfinity regulars. It might lead to more of these guys winning races because they'll be under pressure to win races like, like never before. And I, I still think there's always going to be a place for cup drivers in Xfinity. And I, I can understand some fans for frustration with that when, especially when you open a season with five straight wins by cup guys. But I, I think it's, it's somewhat just the nature of the beast for lack of a better way to put it, Parker. Well, it's definitely an interesting hot topic in our sport right now, as you said, Nate, because of the, the you know, how good they've been. Um, I, I don't, I won't agree on the business aspect of it, because in my opinion, essentially, if you took them out tomorrow, yes, there would be a period where the series would have to shrink in terms of budget, right? Because tomorrow, NOS probably wouldn't be sponsoring Albert's car, and Discount Tire wouldn't sponsor the 22 car full-time. And that sort of thing. But guess what? If they can't get those big sponsors and they can't get all the things they need, then they'll, they won't show up. And then, you know what? The budget will naturally come down as it has in the truck series. We don't have as much cup influence. The budget in the truck series has hit a point where it's stagnant. It is what it is. If you want to go win races in the truck series, it's a known number. It's about $2.5 million. Right. That's what it takes to win. We're on at the front. Maybe a little bit more one season. Maybe if you want to go to win some more, et cetera, et cetera, maybe it's 2.8. Some guys with far as astronomical amounts, but guess what? They're they're you know they're overspending in that sense. So really, when you look at that, if tomorrow right now we're spending five and a half million because we can get it, because we can get the sponsors, because we bring the cup guys in. If tomorrow the cup guys aren't there, and you can't get those sponsors, then you're going to find a way to run on less. Right. And that's my argument. Now is the old deal that hey, we sell more tickets because Kyle shows up. I don't know if anyone looked at the Xfinity crowds most weekends, but I wouldn't know how many less tickets we could sell. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't agree with that argument. And then lastly, the TV ratings. To me, if you look at the TV ratings uh, in the Xfinity series over the last 10 years, you'd be hard-pressed to tell me that they've changed in a massive amount uh, in terms of you know viewership. It's always around a 1.0 and 1.2 million people watching. And that's just the way it is. It's hardcore fans that enjoy NASCAR racing that want to see more of it on a weekend. So, um, so, so I, I think it definitely could. There's no reason you couldn't drop them out. Will it happen? No, because we're going to keep them in some capacity. But definitely you could. I don't like the argument that you couldn't just take them out. Could. Essentially what you're advocating, though, for Parker, is just to, not to eliminate cup drivers, but to eliminate cup teams. Because if if, yeah. if you turn it into – I agree with you. Like, if, But it, you can turn it into a 2 or $3 million a year budget-type business probably. But at that point, at some point, it's not going to be cost-effective for – Childress, Gibbs, Penske to even want to be involved, right? I mean, that's that's essentially yeah. sort of the end game, which, I mean, maybe it is better. I mean, I hear people complaining that it's not even so much cup driver's dominance right now, it's the Gibbs dominance. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that would be a foreseeable end game to all of this. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, but then you, it's tough. I know, uh, you know, you can see where the paychecks come from, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's fine because, you know, the junior motorsports have a very – high connection with Hendrick Motorsports. Um, so you can say, okay, you know, that might be a, considered even crossing the line between Cup and Xfinity team. But at the end of the day, I really think, yes, it is a product of why the budgets have risen so high and why you have seen Cup drivers is because there's Cup team in the Xfinity series. And if they weren't there tomorrow, yes, it would naturally fall. Um, you would still have some, you know, Cup drivers. If you allow them to come down, they're still going to come down and find ways to win and dominate but it wouldn't be as in such a level that we're seeing right now and we've seen the last few years. Right. Okay, good deal. All right, I'm going to call Dave back, and we'll wrap this <laughs> up. Sorry. 
Okay, before I get dropped for, I believe, a third, maybe a fourth time, I'm losing count. Let's get one more Twitter question in before we depart. MRAJ21 wants to know, given the new conduct rules, think we'll see any big scuffles come chase time this year, which brings us full circle back to what happened at Martinsville last year. Parker, do you? Um, I think at the end of the day, no matter what the rules are, if the if the stakes are high enough and the drivers feel like they you know one driver has wronged them enough, you're going to do what you think is right to to get even, right? Uh, I don't think no matter what the rules are, you know, at the end of the day, even knowing that you know knowing what Max did was probably too far anyways last year, he knew that before he did it. Um, you know, you were gonna you did it, so I, I think no, I don't think there's anything that rule wise that's going to stop someone from doing what they feel is going to make get even. Yeah, you're right on. I mean, no rule, you can't legislate heat of the moment. And it, it, no one thought after what happened a couple years ago at Phoenix with Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon that we would see a situation like that again in 2012 that happened. Uh, it almost resulted in Jeff Gordon getting benched a race, by the way. Uh, and then I think what we saw at Martinsville was even worse. So I, I, I think there's always going to be those kinds of flare-ups. I don't know if we'll see guys fight every year or see – something as blatant as we saw at Martinsville again last year, but uh, I, I think there's always going to be p- uh, potential for fireworks. Yep. Well, it's early Definitely. in the season, but always the potential for fireworks at Martinsville this week, we can only hope. Next week we'll be back to wrap up Martinsville, and I guess look ahead to Texas and a couple more short tracks down the road. Thanks for joining us on the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Renee Ryan. Parker Kligerman, I'm Dave Briggs. Follow these gentlemen at Nate Ryan on Twitter, at P. Kligerman on Twitter. Rate us on iTunes. Any last words, guys? Enjoy. That's you, Nate. Yeah, no, this was great. <laughs> I, let, let's, let's do it again, and uh, hopefully next time we'll even have a more secure phone line for Dave. I enjoyed it. Yes, agreed there, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting down to Martinsville and going and racing the truck. On Saturday. Points so, leader. Keep, uh, keep an eye on the 92 there. Yeah. We're gonna, points leader. We're going to go and have a good day. And, yep, we're going to have a good day and hopefully come out of there somewhere in the top five points and uh, continue this great run we got, y'all. So, we hope so. So we have to continue to call you points leader. You do have to contend with <laughs> Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson in the truck trade, which should make your job that much more fun. Best of luck Very this Martinsville. We'll talk to you next week, guys. Thank you. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus fuel system cleaner plus fuel stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. 
but there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.